This is the GTC Traders Podcast. The markets, finance, the economy, and commentary. Nothing within this podcast should be viewed as an investing or trading recommendation. GTC Traders is not a registered investment advisor or advisory service. It does not tell or suggest which securities or derivatives should be bought or sold. Analysts, affiliates, employees, or partners of GTC Traders may hold long or short positions within the currencies, derivatives, securities, equities, or industries herein discussed. GTC Traders and Secundus Puer LLC assumes no responsibility or liability for any trading or investing results. Facts, statements, data, and charts posted to the company website or mentioned within this podcast may unintentionally include inaccuracies. Content is for educational purposes only, and outside independent advice should be sought to confirm the validity or accuracy of any statement or claim made. You should ask the firm with which you invest, trade, or deal about the specific terms, conditions, tax implications, and risks of specific markets, and the associated obligations that such trading may place upon you. You should always check with your licensed financial advisor and tax advisor to determine the suitability of any investment to your individual circumstances. No assumptions should be made in relation to the performance or accuracy of the methods shown. No claims are made as to the success or profitability of any statements made. GTC Traders is not actually my first rodeo. When it comes to... What is this exactly? And once have asked that question, and maybe it's something we can discuss more in the future, it's not advice. It's never going to be advice. Something we have said for years and years, uh, and especially uh, who I'm going to talk with today has discussed this. Uh, for years and years, we he, he's actually the one that came up with this. Rob is who we're going to have a conversation with. He said that everyone must develop themselves as a trader. No one can do it for you. Now, to someone who is new, that may sound like a bit of a conundrum, a bit of a contradiction. It's like, okay, I want to get to where you guys are at, so how do I get there? Like, teach me something I need to know. And we turn around and say, well, you got to turn yourself into a trader. <laughs> and I was like, well, that, that's sort of like, what was that one Star Wars movie where Anakin goes to Yoda and says, hey, how can I save the people I love? And Yoda says, hey, you know what? You just got to let go of all of it and uh, just let be what be. And it's like, thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> that didn't help. But it is the truth. And so there's this dilemma of us trying to express what we mean by you have to turn yourself into a trader the same way we turned ourselves into traders. What exactly does that mean? How do you develop yourself as a trader? Because this is not advice. And we don't believe in the gurus, as we'll go on to discuss here. So we had a thought. What if we had, not in maybe an interview, but conversations with traders, either traders who are developing themselves uh, on that path or developed uh, traders who've been in the business for you know decades, uh, like ourselves. So that's what we are doing here. Uh, our first conversation uh, with Rob, and you'll probably recognize him if you've listened to other podcasts. I've known Rob now for, I think, and he can correct me if I'm wrong here, I think nine years now. Uh, I think it was in 2014 he and I first ran across each other. And when we ran across each other and we first started talking with one another, again, there was that same idea, right? Uh, I love the way he put it back at the time. He said that 
and these this was his phrase, and I was like, that's just perfect. Um, a real trader can sniff out a real trader, sort of like two old dogs sniffing each other, right? Just the way we talk about trading, even if our approaches are wildly different, and our approaches are wildly different to markets. Uh, we trade different markets and, and, and in different ways. You know, there, there's a real trader can sniff out a real trader. They really can. And so we got to know one another. Uh, I am a member, as you may have heard other podcasts with Rob, uh, of Discovery Trading Group, and we talked more there. And we went on to develop other projects together, suffered pain together, <laughs> but now here we are nine years later. Now, what's funny about Rob is in some respects, our approach is so wildly different. In many respects, we communicate very differently. Uh, not that one's better than the other, but it's just different, right? We trade very differently. Uh, as friends and business partners will do, we have laughed and argued very passionately. I'll put that very diplomatically <laughs> over various projects. Uh, but when we boil everything down, we find that trading is trading. And the same base principles must be applied as well as the same pitfalls. And like I was saying earlier, we also firmly believe that traders are not born that way. Nor can... It's, it's difficult for me to try to find a way to phrase this. Me, the wordsmith, right? But one individual just can't implant into you trading. Like, just copy what I do. It's not like the Matrix where you just plug into it and it's like, let me just download the knowledge you have. And now, wow, look at that. I know Kung Fu. I'm a trader. It doesn't work that way. Each individual must develop themselves as a trader. It's not some metaphysical thing. It's very, very real. And there's, But there's so many forms and different forms of trading. You have to find what resonates with you personally. And since we're all different individuals, what's going to resonate with you personally may not resonate with me or may not re resonate with Rob or may not resonate with other guys at GTC Traders. And so we thought ones might enjoy listening to conversations with traders and listen to how they developed. We're not going to sit here and talk about like furu trading strategies, right? But how did we develop as traders? Where did we come from? Uh, such that we developed into a trader. And what a better place to start with Rob. Uh, I call Rob a, a very close friend of mine now. In addition to business we have done together. And now we have not, I, I won't call it an interview. I'll call it our very first conversation here uh, about developing as a trader here at GTC Traders with Rob. So for anyone listening along, Rob and I have different approaches uh, to markets, but you know, there's there's some synchronicity. There's some areas where we meet, but then we're we're looking at different things, and that's something that he and I have both talked about a lot, right? You have to find what resonates with you. you people people are just different, and we all develop differently as a trader. Uh, I've developed differently than Rob. Rob has a completely different approach than I do. And somebody else is going to have a completely, you know, separate approach. And it just goes on and on ad nauseum. And there's a very real reason for that. It's for the aforementioned reason. We're all different people. And it's something, it's something I don't know about you, man. But I honestly think this is something that's sort of hard for aspiring traders to understand is that 
we are all different and we have to develop differently. So it's like there's there's these different approaches, right? I have a heavy base in equities. I know stirs. I know this part over here. You have a very um, you know definite approach to things. And ones will come and say, and I, I've run into this. Ones will come in and say, well, I want to I want to learn how to trade, or I, I want to you know I'm sort of interested in this. And something I know I've told folks, I know you've told folks is, well, you have to find what resonates with you. You cannot trade like me. You can't just copy what I do or copy what he does and it all work out. We all have to be different. And then at the same time, we say, I think the way to trade this market is X, Y, Z, but you have to go discover that for yourself. I think a lot of traders get confused by that. I think that they don't understand what it means to like develop themselves as a trader or that we are all different people and come from different places. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it goes back to this phenomenon that I've observed, you know, since we founded DTG by accident, whatever, going on 15 years ago, just the observation that how many aspiring traders, investors, you know, whatever you want to call them, if you want to subdivide that by periodicity or whatever, they're, they're seeking to emulate somebody, whether they hear an interview or they hear about a forum like DTG or they, uh, now it's Twitter, of course, and there's just (laughs) loads of brilliant, uh, very well resumed. Legitimately well resumed. Oh yeah. I mean, amazing. But I still kind of see the flaw in that. I, I, it's probably just human nature, right? It's unavoidable, but people want to find somebody that they think is smart. Now, whether it's, you know, what they say or uh, what they did, what their resume is, that they sort of zero in that. And that's the guru concept that I think is, is just not the way to go about it. I'm amazed how many times, you know, I encounter the sort of fallout from that where you realize many years down the road, they're still trying to emulate other stuff that they see. And when they are asked, you know, what are you trying to do? When, you know, where do you think your edge is? And, and, and why? They can't answer the question. Blank stare. Blank yeah. stare. Yeah. And it's, it's because, you know, Rob said this or Dan said this or, you know, whoever they're getting their information from it's all about sort of seeking the validation would he do that or she do that and that's what's going to drive my decision you know to to uh to make my decisions and that goes all the way from tick scalping to you know super long-term positions you know i've seen yeah i've seen it across the periodicity spectrum. Instead of referencing the thesis or where they think the thesis has edge and how they've thought about that. Yeah, exactly that. They reference the, another individual, you know, or they'll reference, you know, what that individual said, how smart that individual is. And some of these individuals have incredible resumes. Fantastic. I wish I had the resume that they had, but that's all they're referencing. And the resume is not going to make another person money. I don't care where they've worked. It's like, if you don't understand the underlying edge or various pieces of multivariate edge that the person's added together, that's their resume is not going to help you at all. I even want, you know, I'll even fish sometimes and look for, 
even if it's something that I don't place a lot of stock in, like uh, you know, historical data chopped up in indicators and <laughs> this is set to this periodicity in here. And so this crosses this. And so therefore I do this. Okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily. I'm just amazed by, you know, when my RSI is 14 or whatever, then I, I'm by and I go, why? <laughs> what made, what made you want to do that? And they go, well, I just told you. <laughs> The so RSA is 14. No, I go, no, you didn't tell me anything. I want to know how you arrived at thinking that that's going to make you money. So what I'm digging for, right, or searching for is a response of, you know, I spent two years like digging through, you know, 40 years worth of historical data. And I determined that, you know, X percentage of the time under these conditions, it shows me the way to profit, you know. Yes. But, yeah, they, but I don't hear yeah. that. I just hear it's just because, you know, I learned it in a course or I did this or that. And they, you know, it's like they're really not sure why they're doing what they're doing. They're just emulating what they heard or what they read or, you know, the other DTG founder, NJ, always used the term resonate, you know. You, I like that term. Yeah. Yeah. So he would say, you know, you have to find what resonates with you, but then as an extension to that, I forget exactly what his, his wording is, but it's something to the effect of you have to take whatever it is that you think that you want to do and you have to, through, you know, study, through analysis, like prove to yourself that it quote unquote works right? Um, you know, putting, putting that effort in to go, you know, to really have confidence in whatever you're going to choose to believe in. And whether that's, you know, order flow in, in some way or whatever it is that you do. So many people, I think, skip that sort of prove it to yourself through empirical analysis. And a lot of people don't want to do that because they go, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a quant. I'm not trying to trade a system. It's like, who's talking about a system? I'm not talking about a system. I'm talking about, you know. Like, why are you in this trade? Right. Like, you, you know, it's not me? about like some mechanical process and going, well, I'm going to look at, you know, 50, 200 moving average crossovers over the last 50 years and, and crunch a bunch of numbers on it. It's not about that. It's, it's about, you know, you're either going to go through that process and go, well, this is a pile of crap, you know, uh, this isn't really going to get me the money, or you're going to do that and you're going to go, you know, this 5,200 thing is pretty, pretty good. And then, and then start to maybe take it to the next level and go, well, why would that be? Okay. What's 50? And, you know, if they're daily plots, then, you know, 50 is 50 days and 50 days is like, you know, two and a half months or something like that. So then that's, you know, 200 is almost a year and, you know, okay. So. And what am I thinking? You know, blah, 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 blah. Right? Yeah. And how are they adjusting positions and why right. might in this particular yeah. market be behaving this way specifically? Or is it just that, that those, those moving averages are so well uh, known and attended and everybody, well, you know, the, S and P is above the 50 day or is above the 200 and you know, the talking heads and the pundits talking about it as if, well, I mean, let's, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, that what I call self-fulfilling prophecy of that kind of stuff is very real. Oh, absolutely. Um, you, know, you could take the most asinine, uh, 
you know thing in the world that makes no sense. Okay, let's just look at two hundred days worth of daily closes and and that that means something. Well, if everybody thinks it does, it means something, and it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. that's, that's self fulfilling that, prophecy. Yeah, yeah, it's that that uh, I use the illustration before, and I know we've talked about it about you know you have all the greatest poker theory in the world, and if you if you know poker mathematics backwards, frontwards, every possible way that every possible hand can be played. And you sit down with two like donk fishes that are just not behaving with any semblance of logic. It's going to change the game for sure. It's going to change the whole game and you better understand that or you're going to be losing some money. So, but you know, it's funny. We're sitting here talking. I know something else I saw recently before we get to the next thing. I think that all of the proceeding is why they focus so much. And this is something we've talked about ad nauseum over the years. They t- focus so much on entrances. Like yeah, they don't good. think about like, okay, I, I, I think this, I agree with you. I think this for myself and my own processes and I'm not knocking processes as Rob will tell you, I am a guy that uses pretty hard, fast processes. I'm going to be buying them right there along with you. But I'm the reason I'm buying with this process has nothing to do with being hyper focused on the entrance. It's because I've pulled apart all of those things, and they just yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's it's, a, it's a, you've already validated that your reason for doing that, you know, is is has merit because yeah, it has work. yeah, it has an iterative validity to it. Right, it, right. it can be put in an iteration, and it makes sense. You know, what I would love to hear sometimes some of these aspiring traders to say is, I have no idea whether this is going to work or not as far as this binary event, but I've proven to myself over an iteration that I don't have to be exactly specific with the entrance, but over an iteration, it can give me positive expectance, or at least it has in the past. I don't know if it will this time. And I've got another risk mitigation in place and ready to go just in case things go the other way. It's like, oh, sure. now, now you're talking my language, right? Yeah. And I know the other direction I see a lot of new aspiring traders go they go to these trading truisms. And I think we both saw this sort of in the Twitter stream recently is like, what is the most worthless sage trading altruisms you've heard that you believe to be pretty much completely worthless. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And they think that's the missing key, right? They think, well, okay, if I'm not supposed to hyper, you know, focus on entrances, if I'm not supposed to like, if I'm supposed to know something deeper about trading, well, then I'll go to all of this psychological stuff. And I'm not saying that trading isn't an incredibly psychological game. It's, a, it's very much a mental game. You have to act opposite the way human beings generally react. But they just, they go to that and they think that's the end all be all of trading. And it just sounds, to me, I don't know about you, but to me, a lot of those, and there's whole, I've noticed there's whole Twitter accounts that dedicate themselves to these trading proverbs and saying them over and over again. And to me, it's, it looks like that old SNL skit where like Will Ferrell was a, the male cheerleader and they got up and it's like, yeah, team, yeah, team, go, go. Yeah. Trade and control your risk. And it's Give like, me an okay. example. Cause I forget what was in that. I, I, Vaguely well, it's like the thread that you're talking about, but yeah, the thread uh, is like, what's some of the most worthless trade? Like, always go with the trend, and the trend is your friend. Oh, the you know? trend, yeah, that stuff, yeah, yeah, that stuff. And it's like, always control your risk with a stop loss order, and it yeah. just, I don't know, yeah, and the uh, percentage uh, risk to equity. Yeah, that was a tricky one, right? Because ones were like, well, you, you know, that, well, that's context. I, I don't remember exactly what I said about that, but 
in almost every case, it was sort of like, well, it depends. That that could either be good advice or bad. It depends on <laughs> all the others. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no red light, green light. You know, it's not heads or tails. Half those sort of trading mantras can be good advice, I suppose. Yes. Depending, you know, what it is. And then again, it could be the worst way to frame up what you're doing. It just, uh, you know, context, yeah, overall, context, context. Always. Yeah. Overall, what are you doing? If you're going to a high probability process, right, that's just, you know, has a very, very, very high hit rate and there's nothing wrong with that. And you're waiting for a, you know, four to one payout ratio. You're you're not going to be doing very well. Well, not with extreme price sensitivity, right? That's the price that you pay. I mean, well, again, everybody wants to, everybody (laughs) would love to, everybody would love to risk a tick to make 50. I'll just do that every time. (laughs) If that were possible, (laughs) but it doesn't, the market's not going to let you do that. Right. You know, as soon as you change those numbers, you know, can you risk, you know, 10 handles to make 50 handles? Well, yeah. You can. That's that's potentially viable, right? Or not. Or not. Like if you're trading yeah. stirs and constructs back in 2015 and you're waiting for for you know twenty tick moves. Good luck. Yeah, and a flag and supply, yeah, you'll get in five years maybe you might get Yeah, five years. It might move. And maybe not. Environment. Yeah. yeah, it may have it may go the other way because of just just the way chaotic markets move. Yeah, I mean in Zerp I mean, you know, four or five ticks literally in a 12 month period and flies is, was pretty standard. Yeah. So, so we've already sort of developed here that, okay, there's, there's nuanced context to a lot of these trading, you know, psychological, whatever we want to call them, altruistic sayings and proverbs that are out there and that people have to develop their own way. I wanted to talk a little bit more about how we develop as traders and how we develop because we are all different people. So I'm going to back up here a little bit and we're going to get a little bit into background with Rob. And I'm just going to ask, where, where were you, where were you born at? Uh, deep in the woods. I'm from New England. I grew up okay. in a very rural town. So um, what kind of kid were you growing up? Were you, were you, uh, <laughs> were you like buying a bicycle in one part of the city and had already had it sold in the other sort of part of the city and working an arb with bikes? <laughs> what, well, for the, the yeah. <laughs> first of all, city would be good. There was no city. Uh, gotcha. I grew up in a very rural environment and uh, there wasn't anybody. You know, I spent most of my childhood by myself because nobody lived near us for miles. So I was, uh, on a solo mission most of the time. Gotcha. I mean, it sounds great. It sounds like uh, old people stuff. And uh, granted, I'm not young, but uh, yeah, I did walk, you know, miles <laughs> if you, to catch the bus okay, I was gonna say, through snowbanks and all that. All that was true. Very true. I mean, people go, come on. It sounds like, you know, when I was blah, 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 I used to you know, wade through f- you know, two foot snowbanks and I had to walk three miles to catch the bus to go to school. No, I really did. I mean, that, that really was, was my childhood. So. Sort of, because uh, we're both about the same age, sort of banging it out as a young kid and just figuring out the world around you through the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Well, I just had, I, I mean, spent a lot of time in my own head. So I guess mm-hmm. many of those um, qualities are, are well applied, I guess, to this. Oh, yeah. Stuff, so. Yeah, there's, there's an aspect there. And I, and I realize... 
I realize more and more as time goes by, I'm sounding like that 52 year old that always bugged the piss out of me when I was 19 and 20 and 25. But <laughs> that being said, as a disclaimer, I am finding that the way I grew up and just having to bang out problems and be in my own head and learn how to solve problems has a lot to do with the, my ability as a trader. I worry for young people, they don't have that as much as what like you and I had maybe growing up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, I did the usual stuff that rural, you know, kids would do. I mean, I, you know, came home from school, I chopped wood, we heated the house with wood and stacked wood, <laughs> chopped more wood, carried wood into the house. I mean, it's, you know, obviously it wasn't winter all the time, but that's what I remember. And, uh, spending time on the shore in the, in the, you know, in the summertime and had a couple lobster traps and, but that, in New England. Yeah. And for people that didn't grow up that way, I think it's important for them to understand. And I, as you know, I grew up that way. We'll, we'll get to me at another time, but uh, you do spend a lot of time in your own head. You know, you, oh, 100%. I, I mean, that's really, yeah, that's all I did really was live in my own head during the Yeah. Time. Yeah. So were you a good student? What kind of music were you into in school going on? Yeah, were, you, top, were you were top. you like the stoner type? Because we're both gener generation X. So. Well, no, that's that's so. In elementary school, I was uh, top in the class in terms of grades, like by a big margin. You know, I, there was a lot of kind of it's kind of derogatory, but a lot of really rednecky, you know, kind of you know, <laughs> stereotypical. You know, most of the the kids that I went to school with it was very small. You know, I mean, I had maybe, boy, I don't know, maybe, maybe less than 15 kids in my class. So like, really, oh, wow. Really, smaller yeah. than mine. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, just, you know, very, very small population in the area that I grew up. So now when I got into high school years, I uh, quickly became uh, a C student. <laughs> Not be, it, I found it school to be very easy, to be honest with you at least where I went to school, maybe it's not everywhere, but it certainly was to me where I went to school. So my grades in high school were being mediocre was just a reflection of me being bored. I just wasn't interested in, in it, you know, it was just, just I, too, too boring to bother <laughs> trying to excel at it. So, yeah. well, I know myself, I was so much the same way and I'm not just asking random questions for, for those listening along about the way anybody grew up, um, ones may know and have listened to uh, Rob's interview on Chat with Traders, which I highly suggest if you've not heard it, go back and uh, look up Chat with Traders. I believe you can find it very easily under risk management is king and gambling is not a dirty word. Any search like that will bring up the podcast, but ones may know that you found it. still not and a have, dirty word, by the way. <laughs> no, it's still not the dirty word, but ones may know, okay, well, Rob has his own quantitative uh, research firm. And therefore in high school, you know, he's probably taking Calc two and, you know, getting ready for nah, Stanford. Totally Not yeah. that any of that stuff has anything to do with the, with the type of research that we've done, which is really, you know, kind of the whole point. So in high school, I, I did just as well as I needed to do to be able to go to the school that I wanted to go to. Yeah. So we'll just say that, right? Because it was important. <laughs> and so I did. And so I got, you know, an undergrad degree in, in uh, marketing and finance. 
but um, I think I think that's important for ones to know because they hear quantitative research firm and there's this thought out there that it's like, well, the smart guy that took was taking like advanced calculus in junior high school. Not, I mean, it's all it's all relative to to what you do. I mean, I guess people would probably have to understand the history of what you know the genesis of the firm was about and where it came from, and it's it's was never <laughs> rocket science. Um, exactly the opposite, right? For a very purposeful reason, you know, wasn't really about grinding data to identify efficiencies or inefficiencies, but it was really just about a process of trying to understand risk and how risk works in a very practical sense. But I, you know, I've told the story many times, the genesis of, of how the research company started was born in failure, you know, I was, uh, you know, trading a very short-term scalping strategy uh, in the ES at the time in a, you know, prop partnership structure commodity pool. Anyway, we just, you know, it was before the big push, you know, for quant stuff. And we just had the bright idea that, you know, we're going to come into the forefront of uh, automation and we were going to. It's real simple. I'll just automate what I'm doing. It's real easy. That, that's what we thought. We were so naive <laughs> that we could just uh, hire somebody to, you know, code what we needed coded and obviously move through testing phase to expand what we were doing into other markets and then apply uh, automated execution after the fact. And we learned uh, <laughs> the hard way that it's not uh, not easy. <laughs> to- What's going on in our brains is not so simple as to automate it. There's, yeah. Well, what, I was just, you know, we like, had distilled it. We had dis- I thought that we could find a way to use indicators in creative ways to duplicate discretionary things that would reoccur regularly. Yeah, because you have that discretionary feel every now and then, and there's this tool that well, it's a huge part of it. Then. But so I had why, why yeah. shouldn't they just like you just match them up, right? You just yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I was just I was just very naive into. I just didn't realize how much discretion was being imparted into something that I would have thought was extremely mechanical. That's the simple answer. So what happens if somebody can visualize anything, right, that you do, if you imagine how many times, so you have a certain criteria, which you identify trades and you enter your trades and what, it doesn't matter what it is, but you know that there's certain times when technically everything is right, but that little guy on your shoulder says, don't do it. Don't pull the trigger. Well, all that stuff. I literally just had that moment this month. Yeah. All that stuff, right, uh, enters into the equation when you code something that you think is mechanical and then you backtest it. Because all those trades that you didn't take or all those extra things that you did or all those trades that technically you were you know, you really should have got this out of it, but you you, know, you hit the parachute a little early because you were nervous about something or some data was coming. When when all of the, even if that occurs infrequently, when all those things enter into a program that's been coded and back tested, 
the difference in results between your actual results and what the back tester is spitting out is massive. And it's so difficult. And I know you had to, I, I remember you actually saying this, uh, for those listening, Rob and I went through a project where I sort of, I, I was sort of working out by hand, uh, an idea for a new program. And I, I, I distinctly remember you chuckling a couple of times. Cause it's like, it's like, it's like reliving watching myself. <laughs> Cause, and I had this moment where you will try to test something and you don't even realize that your brain is, t- is bending the way that you are applying the rules because you're applying the rules in a discretionary manner. Yeah, and it's I can, simple data too. That's uh, and it's very, very simple data. Nothing is involved as, you know, tick data down to the, you know, nanosecond level. We're talking very, very simple, but I'm applying my biases to it until I finally had this moment where I said, okay, I'm going to prove that I'm not doing this in a discretionary manner, applying these rules. Cause I'm going to, I'm, and I sort of, I don't know how I did it, but I just sort of segmented my mind into saying, okay, in this respect, when I take this in sample data, I'm going to be very rules-based. I'm not going to look at the results and I'm just going to apply entry here, exit here. And then in this other area, I'm just going to continue to do it as I have been doing it. And the results were astounding. I, I think, I don't know if you remember that conversation, but I sat there for a good three days because where I applied the very mechanical rules was was a program anybody should be embarrassed of. <laughs> it was just crap. And where I applied the discretionary mindset or the way I thought I had been testing things correctly, and I'm not sure if I'm explaining this well enough, it, I was sort of living in my own head, but it was like, oh, it was a beautiful program. It was annualizing 18% a year. <laughs> and I just, and at, once I got to the end of it and I looked at the two results, the one that was, I had been testing, quote unquote, testing things in my brain, the way that I, you know, I'd been testing things for a solid year up to that point and it was just not working. And then the one that was very mechanically based where I didn't look at the entrances and equits, it was like night and day. You wouldn't even been able to tell it was the same market. It was just, it, it was only at that moment that I realized how much discretion had to do with my trading. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a hard, uh, hard lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's not, look, look, see if people who haven't done this before or gone through this kind the of, of this process, <laughs> yeah. they're probably visualizing something pretty extreme and it, it probably makes you sound stupid on some level of like, well, how could that be? I mean, that's crazy. Well, you couldn't observe this or observe that. You know, I think a lot people of people don't, don't realize, well, yeah. part of, part of what they don't realize is like with any reasonable risk model in, you know, it, it doesn't matter how many occurrences or whatever the process has, but with any reasonable risk model, it isn't going to be many winning trades in a given period, whether it's a month, quarter, year, whatever, that's, that sort of makes the return. I mean, if you're, you know, betting, crazy amounts relative to your equity and you have these, you know, 10% swings every single day or every other trade. I'm not speaking to that. I'm talking about, you know, a real sort of, you know, dead center type asset management worthy program. That's probably not going to annualize more than 30% a year, you know, and and probably less than that. And a futures program, you know, something that's landing in the sort of nine to 25% 25% annualized return, depending on what it is, right? Yeah. In such programs with risk overlays that are appropriate to produce those sorts of returns, um, it's 
it's not a lot of occurrences that makes the return or breaks the return. So let's say in the course of a month, if you had you know, two, two or three uh, occurrences where, well, you know, with my discretion, I didn't take this trade and that's good because it was a loser. Or with my discretion, I bet twice as much on this one. <laughs> and that's good because it was a winner. It was a winner. Yeah. Or this this one was omitted and this one was added. Or this one, you know, I didn't take because, you know, NFP was coming tomorrow and I didn't want to get caught offside or, you know, whatever. You know, that little handful of things that are different is where you have a massive divergence in um, what a purely mechanical execution of the program is versus when that little bit of discretion is sprinkled on top. Yeah. And it's and huge. I, and that's why, you know, yeah. in our inaugural uh, process in, you know, I say the research firm, it, it wasn't a firm at that time. It was, we hired a guy to code stuff, to evaluate, to bring him into the team. Okay. That was how the genesis of that happened. And what happened is, he was given all the materials and he was coding it and demonstrating that the code was accurate, but the results were nothing like Here's your piece of garbage. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, why is this so wrong? Uh, in, in my naivety, you know, and that's sort of what spurred the discovery of all the stuff that I just talked about, about, you know, wow, it's just this and this, and it doesn't take much and this, and this is what you're, not really what your edge is, but whatever your edge is, how it manifests in the nonlinear way that it typically does manifest and what ends up being the catalyst for why you win or lose is the big discovery process to figure out why sort of, you know, any, and we say it all the time. I mean, you know, I've never seen ever. And, you know, my partner has you know, even before working with me has coded thousands of models. Um, is very accomplished in that regard. And uh, I have never seen a single market. These are important. That's why I <laughs> punctuate these when I say them because people go, no, no, it's, you know, and they get all like, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't have this listen one. Case, what I'm like, saying. Exactly. Listen to the exact phraseology. I've never seen a single market intraday strategy you know, where you're in and out and you're flat by the end of the day, never seen a single market intraday strategy that was purely mechanical. Exactly. That made consistent money in a over, linear manner over, over a significant period of time. And people are going to go, I, I know five guys and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, they're showing me a year. Or they show me six months, or they show me what I said. No, no, no. I or said even two years. I don't, I don't amount of time. two years. Yeah, I'm talking in in our world. It's a decade or more. Yes, that includes a variety of disparate market conditions. Yeah, different paradigms of the market. Like, right. you know, I I'll tell people three years minimum, five years is preferred, and even that's a small amount of time. Well, because who? Can, so this is, and when people argue that. They say, well, you know, come on, that's too stringent or whatever. I say, no, it's not. No, it's it's not. everything. It's yeah. everything. And, and here's and this is what I use for an example. If you have the greatest strategy in the world that grinds out money mechanically, and then October of 2008 happens, and you, and, and you go broke, then it wasn't worth doing. Yeah, if that's right. possible, 
running you over that train of you know what the price action was in indexes in particular in October of 2008 which is you know what I was really focused in at the time uh who cares right yeah. I, I don't it's like if that's you know so you know building things from a standpoint of show me the worst possible and if there is no worth possible worst possible let me recreate the worst, worst possible. possible let me go out in the history back to 1950 and find no one. even if it hasn't <laughs> happened yet i'm gonna go well yeah. you know what let's say it was twice as bad as 2008 using the following measurement criteria and what would happen then to this strategy if that happened oh i'd go broke okay well then it's not good enough then like you good. have to you have to be able to adapt and that's why so the other part of my little sermon of you know never seen a single market intraday strategy to make consistent money over decades and then the mm-hmm. final mm-hmm. part of the sentence is without ongoing adaptation yes so people go well, what's that mean and it's just what it sounds like it means right ongoing adaptation means like when conditions change as they're changing how does what you do adapt to those new market conditions now all that said as soon as you start adding markets extending periodicity and adding strategies oh all of that detail huge too yeah all of that detail becomes less and less important to the point where it's not important at all you know you can look at some of the largest CTA firms, I don't want to name any names, but trading the most money are typically uh, multi-strat, long, short. I'm talking in futures, right? Uh, CTAs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that are trading 50 plus markets to the point of the criteria for entering and exiting the markets might as well be gibberish. They're just being exposed to the markets, the details of every little entry the edge doesn't come from that the edge comes from mathematical advantage of the risk model you know if you're risking two unit if you're risking one unit to make two units and 50 things long short at the same time with totally different theses on on the underlying strategy just the math yeah. advantage of that 2 to 1 risk overlay is going to grind out money yeah. right just by doing that so it's all about designing the risk model for those kind of programs, which is the type of stuff that we've worked greatly on in our firm. That's the takeaway, right? Is that you, you can't, it, with a single market intraday, you can't, you, you, you probably aren't going to stay solvent enough to achieve an edge from math advantage if you catch a bad run of cards, right? That's the problem. The if, you could, if you could stay alive, eventually that two to one or three to one or four to one math advantage is going to pay you off. But the problem is you're going to have 37 losses in a row at 1% or whatever. Yeah. And long before you get to that point, you're going to alter or, you know, pull the plug or, you know, whatever. So that's why single market intraday is outright, right? Not spreading is, you know, the, one of the hardest things to do. But it, ironically, it's what everybody seems to want to do. right yeah like they come into the market they go i want to be a trader they gravitate towards tick scalping you know outright crude oil you know variable impulse response very very quick i I can get that satisfaction yeah it's like here's a hint if you're new to trading you probably might not want to scalp outright front month crude (laughs) oh front month crude yeah yeah we've had that conversation many times. yeah so i mean it's like it's all this stuff matters but 
a lot of people that I run into don't realize how much it matters to the point of defining whether you're going to be successful or you're going to continually go back to the drawing board and fail over and over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. And I and I thank you for saving me because I realized that as I was describing that process that I went through, it doesn't, you know, to anybody listening that's new to investing or is an aspiring self-directed trader, they may think, well, this is a damn guy sounds like sort of an idiot. It's like, well, okay, well, I'll tell you what, try it, try it. It's, it's the, the nuances are unbelievable. And I'm not, we're not even saying that there is a place in, in quantitative research firms for very highly, and this, this proves and it sort of underscores your entire point, for very detailed, very adaptive, very high mathematics rocket science uh, on a continual basis that's almost self-learning machine language and how it has to constantly adapt. That, that does happen in quantitative finance. If, if you're new to trading, I can guarantee you this: you don't have the money to research that sort of that sort of uh, or to finance that sort of research. You just oh, don't. It's, it's tremendously, I don't even want to admit what we spent in money, <laughs> time, opportunity. You know, if you add it all up, it's staggering. What that that was a very costly mistake. Being arrogant enough to think that we could just flip a switch effectively and automate and you know. Human discretion, capacity, and you know all of that stuff. So those were definitely hard, hard lessons. Yeah. So that's that's all to to underscore the point that we've got to this point, right? You're growing up in rural New England, uh, sort of near the coast. We, you know, we're sort of inside our own head, and ones we'll hear quantitative research firm. And what we've been trying to describe to this point is don't ones shouldn't get it in their mind, although they can go the rocket science route. If you are thinking Stanford and Princeton, we're not saying that that's not out there, but don't think that trading is about that. Anytime you hear quantitative, don't, it's not right. You don't have to have been this. God knows I wasn't. That's why I asked about your schooling. <laughs> don't think you have to have like taken calculus. And if you haven't taken calculus by the fifth grade, well, then you're just out of finance and you're not going to have a place. It's not the case because a lot of the pain of, of figuring this stuff out. And you and I have had this conversation when we talk about AI is understanding sort of the simplicity, anti-human ways and, and paths you have to take in order to figure some of this stuff out. You know, so yeah, that's why we were sort of reviewing, you know, sort well, of the development. Go ahead. Yeah, look, I mean, the the I think I think a lot of a lot of people may incorrectly assume that the whole rocket scientist thing, when it comes to you know quantitative trading research, is universal, and it's, it's not. not. It's yeah, that's what I'm trying to specifically it's specifically related to tier 1 high frequency market making where you're competing essentially against other high frequency tier market one. makers. <laughs> tier market one market makers, makers. Yeah. It's a world that exists only for pennies or single ticks and it's a world where the competition is occurring at every price up and down the price movement in every market all day every day and is occurring in a space that is we cannot compete in, in the sub 10 microsecond range which just for comparison's sake it takes you about 300 milliseconds to blink your eye you know each microsecond is a thousandth 
of a millisecond. Yeah. So it's nothing that the human brain can comprehend on any level. Hence why the rocket science, right, uh, in order to study it at a high level in such small slices of time. And it, huge technology investment, blah, blah, blah. But as far as uh, the rest of the research world is more people like us. Yes, where yes. It's, it's like a whole uh, different, it's, it's a two it's, different galaxies. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, you know, classic in-sample versus out-of-sample data sets for testing and ideas based on your own visual acuity, right? Uh, things that I'm you can see. being a gambler. And, Look at that. And yeah. uh, I think maybe that's exploitable. And then, okay, so what happens if we you know, put that in the blender and we code it and we see, and, you know, if I did this, when this happens and this was happening at the same time, and I bet this much to make this much, for example, how much would I have made if I did that since 2008 or would I have lost money? You know, that's, that's the type of research that everybody outside of the HFT, because where would you apply uh, uh, rocket science to that stuff, right? I mean, yeah. How would what would you what would you do, what use would high level yeah. mathematics have in in uh, designing trading strategies that are based on uh, longer periodicity? Yeah, yeah, that you can see. That's not that's not like three hundred milliseconds. It's edge that you can actually see, right? right. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, you said earlier longer periodicity. I mean, and and, and, and I would argue that anybody that does, like, I just don't, and this is just my own personal credo. I just don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe in, you know, somebody taking, you know, a hundred years of S&P data and putting it in a blender and applying a bunch of freaking equations to it. And they go, well, see, see what? It's a completely uh, complex, ever-changing environment where, it just doesn't matter like whatever happened over the last X. It doesn't, it doesn't mean the pattern's going to repeat. It doesn't, you know, you just, you, you, you're starting every tick really from square one when it comes to like what's going to happen next as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, research is, it's, it's not about the details. It's a, it's a broad fact finding mission. Generalities is what you're after to try to find if, if, certain things have merit, you know. And and so. continually peeling the onion to find okay, you yeah. think you have an edge. Is that really the edge? That yeah. you and think the, more, it is? the more complex you make it, you know, cuz every little change to the risk overlay or you know, uh, you know, volatility adaptation or whatever, you know, yeah. it's like every little thing, every little turn of the screw is potentially massively impacting to the end result. So and, the last and the- thing I would want to do is go Oh, that's okay because there's this equation where I don't even understand what the equation is. I just know that I plugged a bunch of stuff in and it spit something out that was profitable. That would be the last thing I would want to be involved in or anybody that I know that's kind of, you know, interested in, you know, beating stuff up the way we do. You know, I I just, you want to be able to touch it, feel it, see it, understand it. it. Right. Talk for and, three and, hours about it because you understand what you're right. So all to the do. all the coding and backtesting is is to shortcut the process of telling you how well you would have done with the terms and parameters and risk overlays and everything set certain ways and how, you know so that you can 
you know, study those relationships and try to understand what sort of changes are more sensitive or less sensitive to the overall process. You know, is the risk overlay and the math advantage from the risk overlay super important here? In other words, does it is this a, is this a program that just loves to be winning in the 30s and 40 percent of the time range with you know you know when three to one or two to one three to one two to one four to one of the money or whatever it it lives there right like and that's its nature that's its beast that's how you have to exploit it yeah whereas other stuff is just lives in you know like you know i bet one unit to earn a half a unit but i win 85 percent of the time yeah which you know uh, and and there's certain things that live on that side of the spectrum and sort of everything in between so you know but that stuff isn't discovered through calculations or coding no. or anything. These no, are the things not. that you just sort of decide at the outset of, again, observation that the, when we started, you know, the, the things that I say I routinely run into that people can't seem to answer. You know, I do this because I'm emulating this guy and this is what he does and it's this. And then I go, yeah, but why do you do it? And they they don't really know, do you know what, what it is. He worked. Do you know what he did? Right, it's exactly. Like- yeah, it's yeah. like, well, that's good, but you know, uh, and I believe that he worked there, and I think he's a fantastic trader, and I'm not disputing. Look, there's so many smart. Are you risking money there? Yeah, yeah. Look, and I could. I'm not going to name them, but I could name at least five people that are sort of my inner circle or whatever on Twitter that I communicate with a lot. You know, highly respect them. Highly respect them, and every single one of them doesn't do anything like i do it yes and they could come and to each every one of us. single and, yeah. and 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 i don't do anything like the way they do it but yet that and and because I, I couldn't and they couldn't you know what i mean there's just you, you and got they could it, come to each of us and say thing. hey i've done this trade 500 times it's gonna win i'm doing it next neither you or i are gonna take that trade and conversely i could go to them i could show them a big long grid i could show them a big sheet this is why i do what i do and they're gonna look at me and say yeah well good for you yeah. <laughs> Enjoy just, your trade. Go with God. Yeah, yeah it's just, uh, but I can tell you one thing about every one of those people in particular and countless other ones out there on Twitter that are successful in their own right. Every single one of them has put in the work in that respect in order to really understand why they think they can beat this market, whatever it is, which whatever it is, in whatever context it is, they didn't just decide it by reading something. There's a tremendous amount of <clears throat> observation, whether it's from experience, uh, you know, guys trading in the pit or uh, on the screen or whatever. You know, all of that stuff goes into the blender, and you form your opinions over time. And if you haven't been in the blender yet at all, and you're new, you know. At, Obviously, you're you're most likely a screen trader now, and uh, I guess. But assuming that you are, and you are just starting, (laughs) all I can tell you is you better just be at your desk and just staring at shit until you go blind. Until something. There's no other way. There's no other way. There really. If you think you're just gonna buy a course or read something or talk to a couple guys or listen to some smart people or people you think are smart on Twitter you know, there's no shortcut for the, just staring at it until something screams at you, you know? There's just not, it's, it's having to, in Mike Tyson's words, take the punch to the face and learn how to take the punch to the face and exactly what that feels like, which I think 
you know, just speaking of the blender here for a second, it, it speaks to risk. You know, that's that's an aspect we really haven't discussed to this point. But, you know, if you've just bought some course or listen, listen, if you if you're going to quote some trader on Twitter, quote me, quote any, Rob, anybody else, I can guarantee you if you come to me or Rob or any of these other people and ask, hey, why did you take that trade? They are not going to tell you, well, it's because I learned from my mentor. They may talk about their mentor, but they're not going to say because he would take this trade and therefore I'm taking this trade. No, they're going to sit there for four hours and tell you why they believe that they can control the risk and make some money and over an iterative process, make some money in this. They understand the thesis behind the whole thing. They're not going to quote somebody else. You know, They understand what, what risk is and real risk. You know, and what it means to take a punch is, as we both know, we, you and I have both taken our, our punches to the face, you know? Yeah. I think that's a rite of passage too, being gutted. I think that, you know, uh, not just the, the, the actual gutting itself, but being made to feel what it feels like to be gutted (laughs) has some kind of intrinsic value of some kind of, you know, it's not just that you, you know, I've told the story before where you know, I got stop gapped and try to get cute and thought I could scale my way out of it and whatever. And the next thing you know, I got, you know, you know, beat over. There goes a Ferrari. Yeah. It was $80,000 or something like that. And it's not that it's the, you know, the one. It's after. Yeah. Or even during of just the realization that, you know, you're stuck and you're not getting it back and you have to admit that you did it to yourself and all of that. and And that feeling, you really don't know because it just sounds like a number and you go, okay, well at some point I'll get stop gapped and blah, blah, blah. Well, no, I mean, you probably will, but if, if you, you will, you if, will. If it, when, it, when it happens to you, you, you know, you have to feel that what it feels like, you know, I don't just mean losing the money. I mean, the feeling of just feeling like a failure. What an <laughs> idiot. You know what I mean? That, you well, know, not I, just I, that, but I thought I was going to outsmart the market and I, and it, and it showed me, and I knew that I knew it before I did this. So why did I do that? You know what I mean? That's the part I'm talking about. Yeah. And it being able to admit it, having the, the character and the ability to say, I did this because we know both know, and I, I can cite sources or, or, or actually examples. Many people know of people that are smarter than I will ever hope to be who got stuck and got gutted in the market that is the actual guru came around and eviscerated them like a velociraptor. And it was always, well, this happened. And if that wouldn't have happened, and if that, yeah, that's all true. It's all true. If that wouldn't have happened, you'd still be up, but it did. And a lot of the smart people just could never admit you are the one that made the decisions that got yourself into this position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that was that was brutal. I'm just reliving that. <laughs> yeah, let's get away. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about risk here. So, growing up, <laughs> I had like I had like 250 spoos on when that happened. Oh. Oh, I mean, I, by the time it was done, I didn't start with 250. because <laughs> I, I was being cute. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you ended up with 250. With half that, and then <laughs> that's just, when the Velociraptor, oh my god, gutting came along. Yeah, but let's. I want to not to dwell too much on the pain that neither one of us want to think about too much because we've been there. Uh, but I, I sort of want to circle back to what we were talking about in the beginning, right? About the way you and I both grew up. And I know there's a lot of memes out there. I know there's a lot of social media sort of, you know, 
ideas about how Generation X grew up and they're the real folk. I'm not trying to highlight how we're a better generation or any sort of dichotomy like that. Oh, wait, there's still to... hillbillies today, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I see. Now you're getting into my path. You're getting into my my uh, real neck. Well, of the woods. I'm I, I'm not. That was derogatory. <laughs> I'm just a little further north. <laughs> but it's way. the same. It's the same thing, right? It's I mean, the same rural, thing. It's yeah. It's, you know, there's just yeah. less hills where I grew up. But yes, you know. exactly. But no, I, I took it as a compliment. Are you kidding? Uh, you know, you know the pride I have. But Lowland bu- Billy. Exactly. Something. Exactly. It's still out there. It's still rural. But the idea of living like we were talking about in the beginning, right? You, you have to be a kid. Well, you don't have to be a kid, but you've had to had some t- time working things out, just sort of spending time in your own head. And I want to circle this back into. So, OK, you grew up great students starting out New England area, sort of near the water as well. But being rural. So. How did things progress from here? Like, what at what point do you remember an actual point where it's like, this is where I was introduced to trading, and this is where, like, all of these lessons of growing up and being in my own head and sailing and discretion and risk, and now I've got this thing called markets. Do you actually remember that moment? Because some guys do, some guys don't. It wasn't really a moment. I mean, I, I was really also very interested in games, you know, uh, of chance in general, cards and and. St- such like that sort of simultaneously. So I, uh, I had that too, you know, that was part of it, but, uh, no, I mean, it really didn't, you know, I mean, certainly when I went to college and certainly in my first year of college, I, um, there were two things that occurred simultaneously in my first year in school. One is that I had a, uh, my very first roommate in the dorm in college had a brother who was a local who had a seat on the NYMEX trading ah. Club. So that was that, and and uh, oh, had a seat. You know, wow. getting to know him and hearing all the stories about what he did, and you know, because he was a lot older. You know, he was an, an older, a, a, a much older brother to my roommate, and uh, you know, because we were seventeen, eighteen at the time. <clears throat> so there was that, and then also I had to do a paper uh, on something related to investing. Ah, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I had. Uh, became this was in the uh in the heyday of the great trend followers in the futures markets turtle traders yeah correct yep. yeah and so i learned all about those guys and not not so much the that they were kind of a thing at that time and commodities were trending really well you know in you know through the 70s and the 80s and which speaks to what we were talking about before with market paradigms. There will be, and then they weren't right. Will work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there was exactly. a, a huge drought of of those trend following programs that were, you know, consistently doing, you know, having 30, 40, 60, 80 percent years with reasonable risk overlays too. I mean, you know, as CTA programs, and then all of a sudden, as long as you could handle those drawdowns, because they they were pretty right. steep. <laughs> no, they're big. Yeah, it's just a whole, you know, that whole alternative asset class thing is is a different yeah. thing anyway. But I'm just saying so. Those types of programs were famous at the time because they were doing really well. But what I was more interested in was like, you know, how, how do they do what they do? Why? You know, what's, what, what makes this stuff tick? And, you know, the way that they go, their models were very, very similar. All of those guys where they would, uh, let's see how to put it simply. The, those they early seemed rule-based. 
They seem yeah, a little they bit were, oh, 100%. But yeah. they, they were all based on the general thesis, again, based on in-sample observation. What did they, they, they do? They looked back at history of the markets, and they saw how they were moving, and they saw that the markets were generally trendy. So when they developed the risk model for those, what's the best way to profit from a market that's moving directionally consistently? And this is how the risk overlays evolved, being unit-based, where to try to put it as simple Add more. As Add more. <laughs> right. Okay. Why did you just put your first unit on? Well, because crude oil is going up. I noticed you just put a second unit on. Why did you do that? Because it's still going up. You know, meanwhile, yeah. and then another no, unit and another unit. So as theory. long as the yeah. market's trending, you keep yeah. adding units yeah. until you're maxed out. So that's a whole thing in itself that, that is still applied today by people. And it's not necessarily in futures, not necessarily in trend following programs or whatever. But that's. I use a portion a, of that idea. Yeah, I it's do. a certain yeah. kind of a risk thing where you believe that if a market is rising or falling, that it's more likely to keep doing that than not. So you keep stacking risk. So that's like a thing. And all of those trend followers at the time were into that. And, you know, I was the guy, even at that time was asking the questions where like, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. But then they would be fully committed with five units on and then the market would go sideways. And I'd be like, well, how is that efficient? Now you're, you're maxed out and you punch in the bought, punch in the bought into the punch highs, the right? Yeah. Like yeah. Most of your risk is, is at the end of the move, you know? So that, that's a, you know, it's a whole thing, but again, the context of the fact that they're not doing it in one market, they're doing it in every single commodity listed commodity market in the world. Long short. They have the funds to do so. Well, yeah, it's that and also just the, the, the non-correlative aspect too where, yeah, to your point, the funds meaning that they uh, they have the margin. You have to enough funds where you're not fractionalizing your sizes when you, yes. when you have your risk. Yeah, so that's important. But they were less concerned about that in those days and that's part of the reason why they had such big drawdowns and big swings too is because they – they weren't accounting well for the fractionalization. So, you know, it's massively, you know, different when there's less equity, right? Yeah. Yeah. You go down to, yeah. Where does the fractionalization begin? Right. So yeah, you started off well and you understand that this program will lead you into X amount of drawdown and that's happened. And mentally uh, ahead of time, you say, yeah, I'm prepared for that until you actually draw down to the 32% and you've taken first that punch to the gut. And then at the, at the same time, oh, wait a minute, I can't put on the requisite a number of contracts because now I've fractionalized and now the whole model's bent, not because the model's bad, but because I don't have the funds to actually put on 0.375 oil contracts. There's no such thing as There's no such thing. Yeah. That's yeah. less than one. Yeah. Yeah. It's that fractionalization that yeah. ones would get themselves into. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I definitely learned a lot from studying that stuff. And, you know, ironically, that was all the stuff there that I was first exposed to then, you know, decades earlier was really what saved the initial failure of the research project that I always talk about, about trying to automate a bunch of... So what you're saying, let me, I I hate to interrupt you here, but like, so in other words, everything that came before 
is your development. Like we were talking and we, I yeah, want to focus on this sure. the whole part is you have to develop as a trader. You have to learn all of these lessons. So what you're saying yeah. is like what you had learned about these trend followers, all of a sudden you're trying to develop some programs and, oh, wow. Yeah. I've got that knowledge in my back pocket. Well, yeah. With the part, you know, why, why does it work? And the concept of what I call math advantage, and that's not an industry term, it's my term, but it's just the way my brain likes to think about you know, is the is your risk advan- mathematically advantaged or disadvantaged? Meaning, you know, are your wins bigger than your losses, or vice versa? And both are valid. But that that early study of that stuff and the learning that there's a very strong inverse relationship between win rate and profit factor or math advantage. Right? It's almost like, immutable. It's it is it's immutable. Remarkably powerful. And it's there there's a few things that you can do to to, to help it Twist be it. less so, but uh, yeah. not much. It, because it's nature. Yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah. It's just you know, every, everybody wants to risk a dollar to make fifty. Think about it people usually also find that getting taking your head out of markets context, you know, uh, capital markets, trading markets on the screen or whatever. And thinking of it in more practical terms in your regular life, whether it's, you know, real estate or buying stuff at a store from a merchant or whatever, and putting things into that context sometimes helps you kind of see it better, you know, and, and not be clouded by all these. By what's on your screen. screen. And think, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm doing these math equations on my screen and this should work. It's like, just like, does it make sense? Life. Does it make yeah. sense? That the mar- that a that a market any market like the S and P that you should you be able to, to you should be able to find a way to come in and put a stop loss that's one or two ticks outside of your entry at some specific point in the ES intraday and then have a fixed target of twelve handles so you're effectively betting two ticks to make twelve handles and that your win rate would ever be high enough to to transcend the fact that you're literally going to be stopped out on 90% of your trades, whether you ended up being right or wrong about direction. You know what I mean? Like it just, that's reality. That's what happens. So everything in between is like, like, of course, like if that was possible, if that sort of inefficiency actually existed where there, there was some way to do that, it's only a matter of time before the market finds it and squashes it. And And squashes it. Absolutely destroys it. It's just not, there isn't, that kind of an inefficiency is not going to exist for very long if it exists at all. So, you know, it's that practical thinking, you know, where it's just common sense. It's not look at comps in real estate, you know, it's like uh, all all the houses are, you know, selling for 1.1 million, but, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to buy one for 600,000. Yeah. No, you're not. You know, you're not. I mean, it's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Or you're not going to, you know, it's just, there's always that, um, that common sense, you know, thinking will will save you on a lot of stupid goose chases that you'll get into in markets. Like, you know, you see some, somebody's claiming some cockamamie edge that's producing some cockamamie returns and you just go whatever like like right away when so, like i hear well so and so is making 10% a month i hear that for example 
consistently. Yeah. Makes 10% a month every single month, 120% a year, blah, 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 here at all time. Then you find out, right, that the, what he means in the 10% is 10% on his margin risk. Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Good. So it isn't 10%. The capital. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's that. Or even in the rare case that it is futures guy and he really is making 10%, you find out that he's risking 5% of his equity on each trade. Yes. Well, so if you're risking 5% of your equity in each trade, all you need to be is two trades ahead for the month in whatever your series is and you're up 10%. So it's not impressive. If a guy's betting, a, you know, a quarter of a percent or half percent, you know, in layman's terms on the trade and he's making 10% a month and his hit rate is, you know, whatever. And it's 40 something percent is this and that. Well, then it's, you know, like, wow, really? You know, and then, and then I might be interested to look further what this guy's doing to achieve. Yeah, but I'd, I'd have level questions. of consistency, but chances yeah. are it, it's, it's, it's commensurate with risk. Whatever well, that's the whole thing. That's where I was going. It's like my first questions are going to be about the underlying thesis of the risk model because the only question I have in that scenario is, okay, when is when is this thing going to see a statistically normal, not bad, not the whole thing blows up, but a statistically normal 10 streak loss? And yeah, you've been quitting at 5% or 10% each month, but that's only because you quit that month <laughs> and, and your risk model is not going to support that when you run into the inevitable you know, 10 streak loss. You're just risking yeah. too much. The risk model just doesn't support it. So I have a friend who, this is going back, uh, mid 2000s, uh, early 2000s to mid 2000s. Friend of mine, option seller. During that time, on any given day, he was probably 10 to 15% of NDX options in volume. Traded. And volume, like the, the, what, yeah. just so people listening understand what we just said, all the N, NDX options out there being traded, Correct. this trader represents this percentage. Yeah, yeah, so he's he's he's, he's, 10, 10, he's 10, 12, 15 percent of the volume every single day in NDX at that time. Yeah, he's running a hedge funds, run, managing sixty million dollars, doing selling options. Okay, which is which is pedal to the metal, you know, <laughs> like level of like, that's a lot of money for an option. Yeah, that, that, like and that gamble risk and that capital risk right. just does not show up on a monthly grid. You're That's not right. the risk you're seeing. You right. have to and, know what he's doing. And it's no secret, right? That, that, I mean, that's what it is. It's the 60 million is a lot of money relative to such a strategy, but not given the risk that he was taking. Yes. To, that's why, right? So, so, you know, it's a classic thing. I mean, it worked out great for a few years for him and his general model was is that you know he would he would make outlandish monthly returns i don't mean on the margin but i mean actual monthly returns like they have to be reported in an asset management operation right but he knew that every single year uh he was going to have at least one or two months out of 12 in every year where he's going to lose he's going to have a single month he's going to lose 30 35 percent just in that one month so it's like anticipating that drawdown right and it's I mean, you know why if you've ever sold yeah. options before right it's just you know you roll them up roll them up roll them up and then they keep going and yeah and they keep going and, it's, and then i don't you know, yeah that's it and it's a gutting and whatever so he knew he was going to get that and his 
investor base was trained for it and you know and so he had done yeah, 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 i can handle it them. until it happened and then they all you know wanted to reteam and you know they said they could handle it but then when they actually did lose 35 percent like overnight then you know then they want their money back and you know all all of it's true right so like this stuff happens over and over and over again and there's always some guy that's doing crazy returns and you know no no, no he's different you know it's different this time you know like i'm always you know saying on twitter to be facetious you know, like the kids say, no, 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 it's different. It's crypto. Yeah. You know, no, 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 it's different. In inflation, it's normal to be 5%. It's different this time. I've, you know how many yeah. times I've heard that in the last 30 years? It's different I, this time. I no, no, no. This is the dot-com bubble. This is different. This is the internet. We don't man. need revenues like the old model. I no, no, no. It's not important make- that we make money. It's different this time. Yeah. I, I, no, 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 people, man. This is, this is AI. It's different. Yeah. It's AI, man. It's different. People think we are exaggerating that people actually said that. We've got pool tables, we've got ping pong tables, which, hey, if there's a place for that because you're putting your people up and they're working 20-hour shifts out of a 24-hour period, I get that. But we've got ping pong tables, we've got pool tables, and we're not generating any revenue. And I swear to God that was happening. And we're hearing, oh, we don't need to because dot com. (laughs) Yeah. And we can just roll this out forever. Like, you know, somebody thinks they can roll an option forever until... Until the math eventually hits them, and that's what's yeah. going to happen. And and there's no other. I, I think the thing I really want to highlight to folks, and I, you know, it's just been the basis of our conversation, is this is part of that development process we were talking about. You have to be in long enough to take the punches, understand the underlying theory of maybe what went wrong or what you're trying to do, and and just. F- there's no other way. It's it's you got to take the punches to the face and learn this stuff. There's no other way. The math isn't going to help you. A 14-day RSI is going to help, not going to help you. Somebody's resume is not going to help you. This new AI thing. It's funny we, you brought up AI because that's something I didn't get to say in that podcast that I was talking about is AI will not, you know, it, it's funny because I've been trying to find a way to enunciate my thoughts on AI is what we were talking about earlier when it comes to a rule set, Right. And, and this is something we have both seen. You have to understand the underlying thesis. And this is where AI is simply, I my thoughts, and I know you've said the same thing, it's going to be a marketing term. We've run this thing through AI and artificial intelligence has proven the thesis. But any asset manager that's ever been around for any length of time is not going to under, entrust understanding the base underlying theory to AI. And what I'm trying to say by that is nobody's going to say, hey, I got an AI model. And so you pour a bunch of investors in and let's say that you understand the structures that you have to trade under and you're trading under some structure and the AI model has done that. And what you were just saying a few moments ago, no one's going to want to hear when something goes wrong or your drawdown goes a little bit outside of the statistical norms. Nobody's going to want to hear, hey, what's going on here? They don't want to hear their asset manager say, well, I did what the AI model told me. What they want to hear is that asset manager sit there for like four hours explaining the base underlying theory. And that's where AI can never, ever, ever, ever help you. Because I can tell you, you're going to be facing nothing but redemptions if you come back with the answer of what we're doing. I can tell you. I mean, as as somebody who's been in that business, there is nothing has changed on that front. No investor is ever going to accept anything other than an actual human being that's at the helm and is responsible for his money 
being directly responsible for it. Exactly. There's no, there's no room in the business to go. No, we just got some, we just got some dot matrix thing that runs in the back and tells us what to do. You would never raise money doing that because nobody would. Yeah, would, you're never even going to get to the point. They want you to the tell end. them. They want you yeah. to impress them. They want to feel like you are smart and you know what you're doing. And even if you're a quant and you, they know that you're the guy who's programming the stuff and watching it every step of the way that's responsible for their money. They don't want like, well, we, you know, we I got wait, an let AI to tell us what to do. That'll yeah. never fly. Yeah. Never. You're never going to get to the point of raising the money to have to explain to investors why you're in drawdown because nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's just going to follow that. It's like, no. And if you're in drawdown, you are there. You're, they are going to redeem. And if they don't redeem, they're going to want you to really explain to them why they shouldn't. You know, talk them out of it. You know, I mean, it's, and again, it goes back to personal responsibility. So they're just. The, that scene from the big short, where's my money? I remember that scene and, and uh, everybody that I've ever discussed that movie with, I go, you know, that guy's right. This guy's a man. Yeah, he's right. Yeah, absolutely. He's right. He's and if- I would have, I probably, I would have him probably, <laughs> you know, but, I mean, you know, but that's just me because I'm a hillbilly, of course, but uh, I'm just saying like the guy had a, you did what? I, yeah. I, give me my money. You, you put it you're all. The, in you're the way off thing. mandate. You're taking a flyer or whatever. And I mean, I know everybody loves the guy because he happened he, to be right. He and happened he got away to be with right. It. Yeah. But he didn't. What if he wasn't? Now you know you would. You'd never hear of him, and he would just be another idiot. You know, hedge fund guy that took a flyer with somebody else's money. It's funny how you can't I mean, explain you know, that scene to anybody that you know. Who has not traded money because that that entire movie, great movie, I love it. I, I enjoy it. I'll sit there and watch it with my wife. But you can't explain to them, he's right. You took all of your money, you poured it into one idea. And then when the when he goes in to say, Where's my money? You try to refer to what the contract says. Yeah. You give me my money. You're right. I would have been there strapped. It's like you give me my money and you give me my money now. Yeah. Oh, he was right. I mean, it's like you, know. you just happen to be correct in the end. There are many stories of many guys that weren't. Yeah. So, and even and, guys that were right and still lost money despite they, being right. I mean, that exactly. never gets talked about how how easy it is in these markets to to actually be right and still not make money. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've been in that position, especially as a shorter term trader. I mean, that, that's like the world that you live in. But I mean. It's just, you know, heartbreaking well, to 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 live under the guise of, you know, just because you're you got it right doesn't doesn't mean you're gonna doesn't mean anything. anything. You've seen my, my yeah. I've had guttings, absolute guttings, and I was right. You know, it's funny because we've talked several times about like you and I are in our fifties, and we're so, we may sound like we're all over these places, but what you, what you had mentioned about the way you and I grew up. It all ties back, I think, into what we were talking about before. And because of our experience, I think you and I talk about, you know, different things that we've learned and people may hear that and say, oh, wow, that's interesting or that's interesting or that's interesting. And that really hasn't been the point. The point has been, this is how we developed. These are the things we've learned because of our past experiences. And maybe just this last little bullet point that we can talk about just a little bit that I think people have to understand in their development as a trader. Like, what does it mean? Hey, you got to become your own trader. It's like, yeah, that sounds good. What does that mean? You have to be stubborn. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, mean, I mean, you have to be stubborn. You have to take these punches to the face we've talked about. You have to take what you learned and and apply them or learn it about turtle traders. Like we can't tell. Here's, I guess, what I've been trying to say is we can't tell other traders what they have learned in their life up to this point and how to apply that. Because very obviously, all of these things are going to be very different than what everybody learns in their life. And then all of these different experiences will change what resonates for each individual person. One person, everything they've learned, everything they've developed, they have developed in discretion in life. They have learned and they don't resonate with all of these experiences together in compilation Tick scalping doesn't resonate with them. You know, maybe three to five day position trades does resonate with them. Maybe spread trading and pairs trading doesn't resonate with them. Maybe it does, but I don't know. And plus there's the objective thing. We haven't even got into objectives. Maybe we can discuss that at some point in the future. But we don't know what the culmination of all these tiny little variables has created in them, what they're looking to do. Right, the entire topic we didn't get to, which was objective, and and how this all culminates in what resonates with them. And I think that's what you and I both mean when we tell traders, you gotta develop yourself as a trader. I can talk about my experiences, or you can talk about your experiences, and these have all built us into what we are. But you have to take all of those experiences and find what resonates with you because it's going to be different for every person. And the only thing that's going to take you to the next level, because I see a lot of this, I see guys talking about how, you know, and I, I was just looking on YouTube because I was like, I wonder what some of these guys out on YouTube are talking about a how to develop as a trader. And I like nine times I saw the phrase, it's this simple. There's nothing simple about this. You have to be stupidly stupidly stubborn and just the hardest job in the world that's why it's the best paying job in the world too if you're successful it's uh it's not easy go ahead no i mean it's it's uh i i think there's i think there's a lot of people that are seem like they're willing to do the work it's not but that's can be misplaced it's like what are you working on you know and why? Um, and why? I I still, you know, believe that the most fruitful work that you can do is finding what you think you can exploit and doing whatever's work necessary for you to become supremely confident in it. Because if you're not, then you can't be stubborn. If you don't dare to be stubborn. You see what I'm saying? Uh, I know you had conversations. Stubborns. We're talking about two different stubborns. Well, no, I, it's all the same to me. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you know, you know quite a bit about what I, my thing is. Yes. And, and one thing that you know, for sure is, you know, I know that I know what I know. Yeah. 
You and I have had so many conversations. There is where you no, just cut it short when you're like, Dan, no, stop. I know this. There is no variance in that. That's not like I think I know everything or I think I'm smart. Don't No, it's not arrogant. You know, you understand, but I'm saying yeah. I don't want anybody to misunderstand that that means that I'm arrogant or I'm smug or I think I'm better than the market or I'm smarter. No, it's quite the contrary, trust me. But it's the confidence to to you have to have the confidence in what you're doing. You have to believe in what you're, I think the curve is going to do this because of this. And, 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 and that may be, you know, cause you know, every single time this is the data and the market starts to react this way with the data, this is what I have proven to myself over and over and over again, that I think the curve is likely to do right. In other words, yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it means that I've done a lot of work to gain the confidence in In why I make whatever decision I'm going to make at any given time. I don't have any illusions of thinking that that edge comes trade by trade. That's another, that's a whole other topic, right? I mean, uh, edges edges are always manifested over groups of occurrences. It's never, why? And people go, no, that's not true. Explain to me how it can be anything but true. You're, it, whatever market you trade, you're trading in an environment where whatever your decision-making process is, is based on the set of data and situation up to the very microsecond that you make that decision. By definition, what a market is, is right after that, everything and anything is subject to change. So while all of your analysis leading up to that point where you decide to enter long or short in that market may have been 100% correct, well, then somebody comes in and sells 5,000 and it runs you over. Yeah. So who cares? You run, right? you run into a massive iceberg. Right. So who cares? So that's the thing where, you know, that's like I argue with people who say, you know, you shouldn't tra- trading is not gambling smart trading is not gambling oh, God, smart God. investing is not gambling you bet on unknown future occurrence it's gambling i'm sorry that's what it is it's a game of chance now you want to have a adult conversation about it and say that because of your track record of your decisions over groups of iter- occurrences you and iteration, iteration. Yeah, you, you can, can prove that you that those decisions more likely than not are going to result in a positive outcome despite what the market unknowingly decides to do next. That's different. But as far as on this trade, is your analysis going to assure you a win or a loss? Who knows? Poppycock. Who knows? Yeah. Nothing. There's no – right. So <clears> – <throat> And if you, if you're not truly understanding of that going in, you just just set yourself up for disappointment, right? I mean, because the worst thing that you can do to not have that confidence that we're talking about, knowing what you know, when you know it, you know, really understanding what it is that you're doing is to falsely believe that you know, trade by trade or occurrence by occurrence, um, that if you win, it is evidence of prowess. And if you lose, it's evidence that you failed somewhere. Yeah. And I think it's honestly, not. it's not. Yeah. It, this is where it goes back to what, you know, we're talking about here with stubbornness. You know, when I say ones have to be stubborn, 
it goes into that development process, right? It goes into everything we've learned. Like we know these very specific things about trading. We know that it has to be iterative. We know that if you show me 10 trades and they're all winners and you've got 100% success rate, I don't give a rip. That's not stubbornness. She did 10 trades. I view an iteration of trades as 30 trades. That's one. In, in your periodicity, let's clarify. In yeah, your periodicity But a lot of people don't understand. There's 30 that. trades to a scalper is like a day, a less yeah, half exactly. a day. Exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. So yeah. let, let, let's be clear as to my periodicity of more of a intraday swing or zero to 15 day periodicity. I don't care that you show me 10 profitable trades. It means nothing. As a matter of fact, it may make you the worst trader that has ever existed. I care about one iteration in a zero to 15 day periodicity, one iteration of is 30 trades. Okay, great. That's one. It's like kicking out a push up. You showed me one push up. I don't care about one push up. I don't care about 30 trades. Show me the second iteration. Show me the third. And people are like, well, I've done three push ups. Show me five years of push ups. Right, exactly. And that requires one thing stubbornness and yeah. the only where the only way you get to what i'm referring to as stubbornness which other people may view it as differently is where you've developed in life like so look i think that what we just talked about is a perfect perfect example of what i'm trying to set up you come at it from the standpoint of a tick scalper 30 trades is nothing I come in from the example of somebody that's maybe got an options trade on or a cash, you know, one-to-one -one cash position uh, of zero to 15-day periodicity. 30 trades is, you know, it's one iteration. It's nothing to a tick scalper. Well, why did we develop in those different ways is because we just developed differently, right? We just, you developed in the way of understanding gambling and, and understanding games from earlier on, as you were talking about. It's like, I want to be in a holler, like, like, let me get my 30 odd six and go deer hunting. That's what I want to do. So I don't have to look at this. We just develop differently. And it all yeah. comes from very different life experiences. Yeah, the whole hunt for you is the walk in, walk in the woods. Where Exactly. Yeah. It's just a different, yeah. It's a totally different vibe. And that that's what I think what you and I are both talking about when it comes to developing yourself as a trader. I don't know how somebody else's life develops. So you listening to me or Rob on Twitter means nothing. Like, I don't know, what have your life experiences been? Develop your way of what resonates with you. Now, I think if you want to be, because of what resonates with you, an intraday scalper, because of that's what resonates with you, cool. Now, okay, let me show you what I've learned about intraday scalping. That's cool. Somebody can be a mentor, but I think being a mentor and a guru are two totally different things. I don't believe in gurus. I believe in being stubborn, what resonates with you? How did you develop in life? And which one of these thousands of approaches to trading do you want to approach because of the way you've developed as a person? It's going to be different. Well, you know me. I mean, that, all over the DTG stuff is no guru, no guru, no guru. We, we just don't like the guru concept at all. You know, it just doesn't, you know. I, I believe everybody's going to naturally land eventually, you know, in pursuit of you know, trading or investing in markets exactly where they should be. Um, they yeah, may have a couple enough. false starts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I just mean maybe they, through the traditional methods, you know, they buy this course or listen to that guy or do whatever oh, they I do. And then they, and they land on the, you know, scalping and they go, you know, I just don't really like this scalping thing. 
I, you know, I see myself as more of an investor and then, you know, eventually they'll probably get it right. Yes. You know, but then once they do, I still think the most important thing, whether you're technically oriented or more fundamentally oriented, um, or even, even, even motivated by guys back, back in the Chicago trade by the seat of their pants, purely discretionary does work. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. you know, in the in the pit, it's, it's more about you know where the paper flow is coming. Where from. Where the paper flow is coming from, and I know so that totally guy. different. You yeah. kind of can't really compare, but it's. But different. what I'm saying is, it's like there, there's a discretionary feel, and like you've just been saying this whole time. I, I apologize for interrupting you, but it's like they're going to land where they're going to land, right? And and each approach is viable for whatever that person is. Well, either way, yeah. What I was driving at though is that no matter where they land in terms of strategy, periodicity, the market that they trade or, or whether it's fundamental or technical, uh, you know, even if it's look, what, these days on the screen, it's, it's about it, all you have is, is history, right? So before it's all over, you're going to have to have a thesis about something that you think is edge now, whether it's, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to come up with some, some random, you know, fundamental point where I, I don't know. I'll just pull something out of the air. Uh, you know, every, every time, uh, non-farm payrolls is X, you know, I want to be long for the whole day. Yeah, or whatever, and and the point being, like, great. So, like, but how would you come up with that? Right, is my point. Like, if you if somebody told you that you should do that, that's not good enough. And I don't care how successful the guy is. Like, if you if you're gonna do that, what you need to do is pull up data of everything that happened with the market that you trade with all of the data from payrolls releases and you need to prove it to yourself with your own eyes that that's like, Hmm, okay. Interesting. I think there's edge there. I don't think a lot of people do that anymore. Dan. No, I, really, don't. I don't see it. Like they come in the forum and I ask them those type of questions and it's like, they don't have the answer. Now, if you ask me anything that I do or have done in whether it's outrights or spreading or anything, I could you know tell you that I have. Oh God, I can tell anybody that I Everybody have run my mind <laughs> and my eyes bloodshot. Yeah, proving stubborn. it to myself. Yes, the stubbornness of proving it to yourself that this is actually something correct, and that's the thing. That's the other form of pain, right? It's like. It goes back to that whole thing. It's not about higher calculus. It's not about being some innate genius. It's about being a gambler. And don't you- don't get me wrong. I'm not an idea factory necessarily. Everything that I ever thought I could get edge out of, I heard about from somebody else. Oh, me too. We've talked just about like that. anybody else, right? Somebody. It's oh, this guy does this. And this guy, you know, right. trades for ticks and the futures, and this is great. And okay, I got to look into that. But the point is, is it's not. It doesn't end there. It's like a, an, a level of immersion 
to do what again going back to what nj says with the resonate and you what know resonates? Prove, prove to yourself that you know that you think it's edge you know by by putting the work in and understanding you know it on every level you know because that's what's going to give you that confidence to be stubborn to sit through the hard times and go no i this is you know this hasn't let me down and it doesn't quite feel right right now and but i gotta hang in there you know what i mean because this is my thing you know this is my thing yeah and that's because it's all about managing discomfort like i've also said a million times you're never gonna I don't know anybody who's I don't know anybody who's successful in this game who just walks around like, you know, king, you know what, and is like I got the, you know, world by the, you know, yeah. what. I mean, it's yeah. like that you're you're questioning everything all the time. And if you're all not, you should, be, you, you should know, be. you should be because it's like yeah. it, it all goes into that development process. The only person the it's funny because I I don't think a new and aspiring traders understand this. They have this concept that every time I get involved in a trade, I am a thousand percent convinced because of the iterations and the multiple iterations that I've done and the way I've developed in very rural, almost a different galaxy, almost a different country. Uh, the reason why I'm trading this market and my lifestyle and because of my life experiences, I traded this and I've proved the iteration. I've been stubborn because of my background and I've stared at the screen to my eyes bled. I know this next trade's going to win, or, and therefore I'm not nervous about it. Baloney! Every <laughs> trade I get involved in is like this is going to be where that one thing happens in the world that I didn't foresee, I didn't test for, that nobody ever saw. That is the black swan. Everybody has talks about black swans, and they're sure. not black swans. They're things. They that do not. happen too. They, they do happen. Things nobody <laughs> ever caught. Do we know that? Uh, <laughs> multiple times over is going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you. And you have to take the kick in the gut. Literally, I've, I've explained to people like, do you have the background? Did you grow up in such a way that you can take a thoroughbred horse, a Tennessee Walker kicking you in the nuts? And as you're going down in pain thinking, Hmm, I got myself here. I shouldn't have brushed him that way. What could I do differently? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and think my way through as my nuts have literally been crushed. That's yeah. this business. And you got to yeah. have the stubbornness and of however you've developed to take all of your knowledge and what resonates with you and make it your thing. And to do like, I think we're coming at it from two different aspects, right? I'm coming at it from the aspect of who are you as a light, you know, just your life experiences. And I think both are equally valid. Uh, okay, where, where did you come from? How did you grow up? What did you learn about discomfort? What do you want to do in life? What's your objective? And like you're saying, the stubbornness to like stick with it and go in knowing the confidence because you've adequately tested it and, and not think you've tested it because somebody else showed you a pretty chart that you happen to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Variance and, and all that too is just part of the, that's where the game stuff comes into is the you know, just uh, a different, uh, a different angle, you know, like you say, but to say it, yeah. it all lands in the same place. It all does land in the same place. So I think we've covered it adequately. I hope people understand by the end of this, it's where you've developed as a person, how to be stubborn in, in both testing it out, how to test it out. Your life experiences are different from everyone else. And therefore, you're you're just going to approach this differently. But when you do find a market or a style of trading that resonates with you, yeah, somebody may not be a guru, 
but they may be a mentor. They may say, hey, you know, you're walking into this trading pit. Let me let me show you what I've learned. If you're trading in the same sort of pit and periodicity that I have, mentorship is a different thing than being a guru. Nobody's a guru but the market. Period. That's right. So I, agree. I think that's I think it's a good place to wrap it up. Hopefully we've covered that adequately enough. And I want to thank you both for your time as we've ironed this out, as well as being our very first guinea pig for these conversations with traders. So hope we did you justice there. And thanks again for your time.